Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Harrison Withrow, the developer of an upcoming title known as The Girl from Arcania. Harrison, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) No problem. So I'm really happy to have you on because we actually just talked about your game on our God Bless the Crowd segment. But before we actually talk about the game itself, I always like to start by getting some insight to the people behind this magical world known as video games. What role do you play on the team and how did you get into the games industry in the first place? Um, So I am the lead developer on the Arcania team. Um, and uh, I have uh, one other uh, co-developer who works with me. He's our uh, composer, uh, Robbie Siva. And nice. he also does all the dungeon design and whatnot. And then we have a third developer who's kind of part-time with us. Um, and he does a lot of our map design. Um, and uh, as, as far as how I got into it, um, I've, for probably... 15 years now just messed around with various game making tools just as a hobby you know i started off with rpg maker back in Mm -hmm. gosh 2007 i believe and then moved on to game maker and then you know on to unity just kept getting a little more um a little more advanced in that regard and then you know one day rob uh, he and I were doing a, a playthrough of the uh, the Oracles games, uh, mm-hmm. and he was just like, you know, we should uh, we should try making an Oracles fan game, right? Because that's just <laughs> something you know people in the Zelda community do, and right. so we started working on that, and it just kind of snowballed into this thing where suddenly it wasn't a Zelda game anymore, and now it's its own thing, and then we've got a Twitter account. And then now we're signed with a publisher and now we have uh, this Kickstarter that's bringing in all this money and we're just kind of looking at each other going, wait, weren't we just making a Zelda fan game? (laughs) Sometimes dreams do come true, right? Right. (laughs) So um, now that brings me to another question that I like to ask, which is, are you doing this or at least were you doing this before, you know, you've started to see this, this, uh, the success, especially with the Kickstarter were you doing this full time or was this just like a part time passion project of yours? So it was a part time passion project up until the whole coronavirus thing started taking mm. off. And suddenly, you know, I'm working from home or I'm working very sporadically. And so, you know, I was just home 24 uh, seven for for months, like right. almost everybody. And so I was like, you know, I have all this time to work on this. So might as well put it to good use, right? Yeah. So for the last uh, for the last five months, it's just been full time for me. And uh, and and now it's uh, it's getting to be a bigger thing for Rob as well. He's working, 
you know, three, four days a week on it, whereas before it was only weekends for him. Okay, wow. Well, that's good. I mean, hey, it, you know, things are ramping up. Hopefully you do find a lot of success with this, but let's actually dive into the game itself. Okay. So for those who haven't heard, you kind of mentioned it already that this is very heavily inspired by some things that are some would call it a Zelda clone, but have taken on a, a new leap or it's it's becoming its own thing. So for those who don't know anything about the girl from Arcania, what what exactly can they expect? Why should the audience be excited about this game? So the main one that most people get excited over is the Capybara Companion. Yes. Right? yes. And one of the things that uh, I heard a lot learning how to do, you know, the whole indie dev process is... They're like, an, an indie game to be successful needs good hook. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to figure out what that hook is and really lean into that. Well, we, we had a couple different ideas what our hook was going to be, but then our audience decided for us that it was the Capybara. Because originally, he wasn't even that big of a character, but people saw gotcha. him, and so now he's the star of the show, right? Right, exactly. Uh, that is the main thing is uh, while playing the girl from Arcania, you play as both the treasure hunter Marissa and her capybara companion, and you switch between playing the two of them. Uh, we have a button on, on keyboard. It's, it's R. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is on the controller, but mm -hmm. you press this button and instantly it switches you to playing the other one. And... In addition to that, they can interact with each other. They can push each other around. Uh, Marissa can pick up the capybara and throw him. Um, you know, so and and we're working on some new interactions with that because, uh, as you guys mentioned on your earlier uh, podcasts, we hit our stretch goal to include multiplayer. Yep, something that was actually in the original design for the game. We cut it out because we thought, it's eh, a little ambitious. Uh, let's just focus on getting the single player right and then maybe later see about doing multiplayer. But we thought, okay, if we can hit that as a stretch goal, we'll add it back in. And yep. so now we're kind of thinking, well, how do we make the Capybara more interesting to play? So that's one of the things we're looking at right now. And so not only are you going to be able to you know, move around and interact with objects as the Capybara, He's also going to have abilities that allow him to have some sort of combat effectiveness um, that are going to allow him to do things that Marissa can't. Um, mm -hmm. So the other things that we're kind of bringing to the table. Now, like I said, it was originally a uh, Oracle's fan game. Uh, we were taking yep. heavy inspiration from Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages. We do have a weather system in the game. Marissa can learn these various dances from all of the shamans who are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're these characters that you meet at the end of dungeons. When you complete one of the dungeons, you meet a shaman, she teaches you a dance, and now that dance allows you to control different aspects of the weather. So you can make it rain, or you can change the time of day, or you can... Um, you know, we're working on one right now that actually makes it snow, which is weird for a jungle setting, but we decided, hey, we're going to go with it. Um, right, right. And so uh, just to cut you off, because that's actually a pretty interesting point that okay. I think, uh, you know, just looking at this, people might not have noticed, but how is that going to affect the actual gameplay itself? So being able to 
create this snowy environment is this going to be something where it's more of a puzzle mechanic is it going to change how certain like certain enemies that show up or how you deal with those enemies what does that look like yeah so there are going to be certain areas when you start the game that are not accessible um you know things that you can see where you're like i want to get over there uh, you know, I, I see either, uh, you know, there's a cave or a treasure chest or something that I can't reach. Right. How the heck do I get to it? And so there will be certain maps where you can only access certain areas under certain weather conditions. There were also there are also certain events that only occur, like, say, when it's raining or when gotcha. it is nighttime. Um, so it it changes a lot about the state of the world mm -hmm. there are also certain puzzle aspects that will um utilize the the various weather uh elements so we have outdoor dungeons which is uh something that uh, i mean zelda games have kind of touched on sometimes usually the 2d ones not so much but mm -hmm. we have dungeons that are they're still self-contained maps right but the whole dungeon will take place in like an outdoor area and when you're in those you can actually change the weather while you're in the dungeon and oh. that so we don't have a set order that you have to do the dungeons in so you oh, will cool. never be required to have a specific dance to advance in a dungeon but there mm -hmm. may be like an alternate path that you can take that you couldn't have taken otherwise Gotcha. And I'm assuming that might be something to the nature of you might be able to complete that a little quicker or you might find different items that you might not have if you didn't do that. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So it'll be like you know, the alternate paths will either have like bonus treasure or mm -hmm. they'll be maybe maybe sometimes they're safer or like you said, they're quicker. Right, exactly. Let's. I'm glad you mentioned the bonus treasure because that's another piece that I wanted to talk a little bit about. Now, okay. when you think of Zelda games, you generally think of rubies. You think of you're collecting a certain amount of currency, but generally in those games, they become at a certain point not as interesting because you buy those upgrades, you upgrade the rupee pouch, and then you have enough for certain bombs or whatever you're looking for, right? Now, in this one, it seems that those treasures might not just be specifically for uh, uh, a zero to 100 currency value, but actually for trading with certain other items from someone that's back in the main village. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what exactly you're using these treasures for? Yeah, so last time you compared it to possibly Moonlighter, and that was mm -hmm. actually a very accurate comparison. It's, it's kind of the same idea where you're going out into um, into the wilderness or into a dungeon and you fill your backpack with with treasure as much as you can carry and then you take it back to mm -hmm. the the uh, the treasure trader uh, Renzo and he will give you money for it now there are certain side quests where NPCs want a specific type of treasure you got to go out and find it and bring it to them gotcha. but for the most part you're just going to be bulk selling it to Renzo for money and unlike Zelda games, we're trying to balance it to where you're never going to get to a point where money is trivial, right? right. Well, one of the main ways we're doing that is there's no health pickups. You buy consumables before you go out 
Mm -hmm. uh, before you leave town, you buy all of your, um, you know, your consumable potions, your, your, your health restoration stuff, all of that. And, and that's all you have as far as being able to, to survive. So if you're low on health, but you don't have anything left to restore your health with, you really have no choice but to turn back. And that's going to eat a lot of your money. We also recently implemented, uh, and you can actually see it in the trailer, we implemented a house upgrading system. And we're kind of thinking of turning that. Currently, it's more like, um, at least from the story presentation, you're making a house for your character. We're mm -hmm. actually kind of thinking of regearing that towards being like a treasure hunter guild. Mm, um, okay. And that's going to be a huge money sink as well. In fact, the whole reason we put that in was because when we had people uh, beta testing for us, they were just accumulating such mass amounts of money because we didn't mm -hmm. expect them to just sit there and just kill monkeys for hours and hours. But darn it, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> the grind is real. Yeah. And suddenly they just have all this money and we're like, we need something big for them to spend that money on. So that's when we threw in the house. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I'm sure you could, you could uh, down the line, think of other things like cosmetics or something to, to get people to still want to be in that ecosystem and get something, even if it doesn't amount to actually changing something in the game. Um, but that being said, it's, it's interesting to me because um, you kind of mentioned it, but one of my questions was uh, in the Kickstarter, there was mention that when you die in the game, you're actually losing all those valuables. So you're out exploring, you're in a dungeon, you die and your capybara will pick you back up and will take you to safety, but you're going to lose all of those resources. And I think that's where that Moonlighter comparison really came into play. Now, is this going to lead to something where you're possibly missing out on resources? So what I mean by that is are these dungeons or these areas going to constantly be regenerating? Is the world going to be repopulating itself? Or is this something where when you're, uh, you know, when you fail, you, you lose those resources forever? Right. So we don't want to overly punish people for, uh, you know, dying. We, we think it's, that's already punishment enough that you lost all of your treasure. So mm -hmm. no, the, when you come back, the treasure that you lost will it's not going to come back on that run. And this is the way it currently works. You know, we're, we're always rebalancing it. But right, of course. Of the way course. it currently works is that treasure is lost for that run. But if you go kill the boss, the final mm -hmm. boss of the dungeon, it teleports you out of the dungeon. And then when you go back in, the whole thing has reset. And the treasure chest locations in the dungeon that have like, obviously key items and things are going to be, you know, where they are always. But uh, the the chests that have your you know various uh, sellable treasures in them, those are all randomly spawned. Like we have, oh, very cool. We have you know a couple dozen spawn points in every dungeon, and each time you start a new run, it randomly picks about a third of those to spawn treasure chests at. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's really cool. That's a an interesting way to make it somewhat of a roguelite, but not at the same time. I like it. Right. Um, in the Kickstarter page, there's also mention of uh, this specific quote is, we designed Arcania around the idea that the player sets their own difficulty through the choices they make. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what this means for gameplay? Yeah, of course. So, like I said, there are um, going to be alternate paths that you can take 
through various dungeons um, using different uh, dance effects or different items mm -hmm. that you may go into the dungeon without. So we have a lot of uh, side quests in the overworld that allow you to get items that are going to make your character a lot stronger, right? So the dungeons right. have the kind of bare bones utility items, like you need these just to even complete the game. But then if you do <clears throat> side quests in the overworld, you can get things like um, you can get upgrades for your sword. Uh, you can get better consumables. You can get some items that are going to let you do, uh, you know, extra are going to let you do puzzles in the dungeons in ways that you wouldn't normally be able to do them. And mm -hmm. so uh, the the choice of difficulty kind of comes from, you know, I can either go hit up all of the dungeons immediately, um, just try to speed run through the game and do it on, you know, maximum difficulty because I don't have any of the extra items. Um, or I can go do all of these side quests, take it a bit slower and go tackle the dungeons uh, when I've gotten stronger. The other way that you are able to uh, choose your difficulty as far as gathering resources. And so we have a watermelon item, right? So Kathy Bars <laughs> really love watermelons. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the videos of them just going to town on them. But <laughs> it's like their favorite thing. So we came up with an item that is just a watermelon that takes up half of your treasure bag when you're carrying it. But it's a big watermelon. It is, but if you have the uh, if you have the watermelon in the bag, uh, if you lose, the capybara will bring the bag with you when he drags you out of the dungeon. Gosh, so yeah. you get to so it, it greatly reduces your carrying capacity, but you're not going to lose everything. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do accessibility. I like it because there's some people who maybe they really struggle with it and they just want to always be able to take back that half amount of treasure so that they feel like there's that form of progression and they're not just constantly losing over and over. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned a little bit in there that I wanted to touch upon was some of these items. So one of the images in the Kickstarter page had a number of different items that you could get these different like equipables can you tell us a little bit about what some of these equips might be uh you know generally you see things like a hook shot in in the game but what are some of those more creative ones that you come up what are some of your favorite items that you've created in this game so we have the uh okay so the ribbon all the way on the right uh -huh. uh, so that is a sort of dash item it's it's kind of like the uh, the running boots in a link to the past, except it's it's instant. Like you basically mm, teleport mm -hmm. forward, but it leaves a trail behind you that anything that's touched by that trail takes damage. Um, but mm. what's uh, what's really handy about that item is it works while you're swimming. Mm, so okay. there's a lot of water in our map. I mean, a lot and. Uh, because, you know, it takes place in the rainforest, so you're just right. swimming all the time, and there's uh, there's crocodiles, um, there's, like, dangerous fish in the water, there's those, um, uh, we, they're, uh, what are they called, the kairi, the, the things that in the video they're chasing Marissa across the beach, yep. uh, those yep. can swim. So, you know, the water is a really dangerous place to be, and we decided, well, 
you know, we don't want the player to be completely helpless in the water. So mm -hmm. we decided, well, we have this, uh, we have this item where you can do damage just by moving. Let's make it work in the water. Um, right. And it also, it's, it's also handy because floor traps, if you use that to go across them, it doesn't trigger mm -hmm. them. Nice. Um, let's see. What's the other one? I don't believe we have it in there. Um, yeah, we don't have it on that menu, but we're working on one. Um, and it's it's turning out to be a little difficult on the technical side, but I'm pretty sure we can pull it off. So it is a it is a spear that you can throw. We don't have a bow in this game. We don't really plan to have a bow, but we have a, a spear that you can throw. And after a certain amount of time, you get it back. But mm -hmm. if you use the grappling hook to grab it back, then you can instantly use it again. Oh, cool. So um, I'd say those those are my two favorite items at the moment. Gotcha. Are there? Are you planning to have like a, a bunch of these different items? Is this going to be something where a lot of that versatility in the game is going to be through those equipables? Uh, yeah. So like like Zelda, it is largely uh, item based progression, mm -hmm. and so we have. We have 36 item slots, and I'll be honest wow. with you, we don't know, um, we don't know what all 36 items are going to be. <laughs> That's okay. We essentially have the ones that you see there on the menu, uh, mm -hmm. plus like plus the spear that we were talking about. Right, right. The ones we've got planned, but we we want to we want to fill out that menu. Right, that makes so sense. It's kind of a matter of we got to come up with uh, more more ideas for that and it's it's surprisingly tough to just sit down and be like okay what are some genuinely interesting items that we can put in that aren't just blatant ripoffs of ones that you can already get in zelda right 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 and i can imagine i can imagine that's really tough as well because then you have to think of a balancing portion because it's not just is something really cool it's does it break the game fundamentally where now you just have these items that make it either too easy or just don't really fit with the context of the game itself. Absolutely. And in fact, that that has been one of our biggest challenges in getting feedback because early on we were just asking people like, hey, what kind of items do you guys want to see in the game? And through a combination of them not really understanding the game itself, because, you know, obviously they've only played a, a, a tiny little demo version of it right. um, and not understanding the complexities of making some of these things, we get just some of the wildest, most unrealistic answers. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can do that. <laughs> That's awesome, though. But it's good that at least you're taking that that audience feedback, and that that circles around to the mention where you said that the capybara became the star because the audience specifically was like, "This is what we want." This right. is where you need to hone your your vision in because that's what excites us. Um, now, yeah, you know, he, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I was going to ask a little bit about the capybara because I, I know that the audience obviously chose it. And personally, I love the fact that you're using this animal because it is, it's one that's not quite commonly showcased uh, in many places in general. But I got to ask, why did it come up in the first place? Was this something where the audience pushed for this in general and it wasn't part of your idea or is this something where you had that idea and then it just became the star of the show so it was definitely an evolution uh, he started off as a he just gave a side quest 
Okay. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we're like, well, we have a game that takes place in the Amazon rainforest. And, you know, we, we there's just capybaras everywhere down there. So we want to include those in the game in some way. And so, right. you know, we just, we had this talking capybara that gave you a quest. And uh, so I was playing Wind Waker, right? Okay. Um, and I was playing through the parts where where you carry the uh, the bird girl, uh, bird girl medley. Um, yeah. So you carry her around and you throw her and like she, you know, she can fly when you throw her and you solve a couple puzzles that way. And I'm like, that'd be a really cool thing to include mm-hmm. in the game as a mechanic. Maybe we could do a couple different quests where you have NPCs following you and uh, and you can interact with them in different ways. And so right. I started working on the code for that and you know posting uh screenshots of that and and gifs and stuff to our discord and it's like the more we started talking about it the more we're like why don't we just make this all the time like why don't we just yeah. have always following you and so and um and then you know the more people saw him the more uh it's like nobody nobody even cared about marissa they're just like what about Cappy? <laughs> what can we can we see more of Cappy? Like, all right, that's I guess guess he's like the main character now. <laughs> yeah, right. That's it's interesting how you know how these games evolves. How you you wouldn't even have thought that at the very start that this game would have been anything what it looks like today. Yeah, no, I mean it was uh, it was an absolutely very different game, and I, I you know I still have some screenshots and recordings from our original prototype, and it's it's not even recognizable. So I, I do have one quick question about having those two characters because in some of the screenshots it looks like Capy- the capybara is just following you and in others you're clearly controlling him. Uh-huh. Is there a system where if you walk to a certain distance the capybara will just follow regardless or one of the other characters will follow or is this something where you have to keep switching back and forth to move them no matter what? So we have a we have a button that tells him to either follow or to stay. Gotcha. Um, okay. And if you go through a loading screen, he has to go with you. And even if mm-hmm. even in the multiplayer, that's going to be true. Where, mm-hmm. um, where he won't be able to go through loading screens. Only Marissa will. Even when you're playing as him, you know. Unfortunately, that's kind of one of the the limitations of the the game in its current state is we're not going to be able to get around that. Um, right. But we are. We have also recently implemented a thing. This is not reflected in the. Uh, uh, in the demo version we put out, but we recently implemented where if he is a certain distance away from you and you tell him to follow, um, since his, his pathfinding is a little wonky and we're, we're still <laughs> trying to fix that, but uh, he has a tendency to get stuck on things. So we're mm. like, all right, let's just make him instantly teleport to you if you tell right. him to follow, you know? And I mean, the whole you know the the whole backstory behind him is he is this this ancient forest guardian um and you know and, and like you guys mentioned in your podcast people are like well so does he have any magical powers or anything or like right well, he's really smart <laughs> we're kind of leaning more into that direction let's say okay he can teleport to marissa and he's gonna have a little bit of combat ability so it's kind of yeah. It's it's kind of just a constant process of, uh, especially with him, 
making adjustments uh, adjustments based on user feedback. Right. And that's it's great that you mentioned that because that was one of the things I wanted to give you a little bit of leeway to talk about was we did have some concerns. I think one of the main ones that I had was just around the scaling of the game and having multiple players. So not you controlling two characters at once, but two people controlling both is that the balancing system for the game might either turn it too easy or might change, you know, the the actual complexity of this game. So you you briefly touched upon it, but what are some of the ideas that you're you're tooling around right now on how to solve for that potentially not an issue, but to basically just consider what happens when you add two players into this game as opposed to one? So I mean you're absolutely right. It does have the potential to make the game a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways it's going to add maybe not new challenge, but it's going to add a new dynamic to the game Right. where, you know, when you're playing both characters uh, by yourself, you know, for example, if you want to, uh, if you want to pick up Cappy and throw him, you, you just go do it. But, you know, if you're playing yeah, yeah, with another yeah. person, then you kind of have to coordinate with them be like, okay, I need you to be over there. So come here so I can pick you up. And I'm going to throw you and then you're going to go. <laughs> this and then i'm gonna go do this and um so i i think that will add enough fun that yeah. the the drop in difficulty should not be a huge deal uh if it mm-hmm. is but again that's that's something we're gonna have to get a a working prototype of it going and we're gonna have to get right. it in people's hands and say you know please play this with a friend and let us know does this need to be harder? Um, does, is there anything we need to do to make this more, you know, make make the cooperation process more streamlined? Anything like right. that? Yeah, because this is more speculation on my side. And this is also just me as a player looking for generally some challenge in a lot of these games. But your audience, the, the main majority of people who want to play this might say that, you know, one, maybe it doesn't even change the difficulty but two maybe even if it does that's fine because like you said it adds that complexity or that different dynamic to the game which might be what someone is looking for so it it gives you like those opportunities to say do i want to play this on my own and possibly have more of a challenge or do i want to play with this you know with a friend and have that more strategic approach to the game because we have to coordinate right so the idea we're running with right now as Mm -hmm. far as um, trying to really, r- really build the difficulty into, um, you know, into player cooperation is we're gonna uh, we're gonna have them share a health pool. Uh, oh, gotcha. Which is uh, which is is nice for two reasons because um, you know one we don't have to uh, worry about okay how do we you know if if they drop in or drop out how do we handle you know. Uh, Cappy having health and then he doesn't have health and Mm -hmm. uh, you know and then we got to clutter up the UI with with another bar for him and let's just put them both on the same health bar so playing as Cappy is going to be a little dangerous right now (laughs) when in in the single player what you do if you want to use him as a shield um, because you know people are always asking us well in Zelda I have a shield can I have a shield in Arcania like no you can have a Cappy Barra Close enough. But when you're playing as Cappy, we want to make that more of an of an active thing, right? He's still going to have moments where he can use invincibility to help get Marissa through dangerous situations. 
but it's going to be something that the player who is controlling Cappy has to activate on their end. Now, whether that's going to be like he has a temporary shield or we're going to have some sort of blocking mechanic, uh, we're mm-hmm. not entirely certain yet. We're still working that out. Um, and stuff like that, it's so hard to tell how well it's going to be received from right. our perspective because, you know, I mean, when we're designing all of it, you know, we know how it all works. We have maybe not always the optimal strategy, but we, we always know at least a way to solve everything that we build. Right. So really the only way to know if we're on the right track or not is we have to get it into people's hands and go, is this good? Do you like this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a good thing that you're doing something like a Kickstarter because it gets that excitement. It gets that level of people who are into the game without it actually being a thing even it gets those those audience members who say you know i want to be a part of this community or i want to believe in this vision that you're trying to tell and possibly be those alpha testers those beta testers whatever you need but let's talk a little bit about the kickstarter in general now so first off your kickstarter has done in a short amount of time quite well you yeah. already you've already exceeded your goal. You're going through a couple of stretch goals right now. You have a good amount of days left in this campaign. Did you expect to see this level of success? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> um, you know, Rob has always been just an insane optimist about this. Uh, so he was telling me he's like, you know, we got we got a great idea. We got a catchy name. Everybody loves the capybara. This is going to be huge. And uh, and I'm just like, man, I, I'm just hoping we hit 10K. Like, <laughs> you know, like if we just get there, I'll be happy. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, then it, it was funny because we we hit the launch button and then I got up to refill my coffee and our map designer, James, came into uh came into the discord channel um so rob was here with me but he lives on the other uh, james lives on the other side of the country but he just pops mm-hmm. into this discord channel and starts shouting he's like hey what wh- why why does it say 1500 and i'm like what <laughs> I, I thought i thought he was messing with me <laughs> right I'm like, like so i'm like okay i'll look at it I go back yeah within the first no kidding within the first minute we raised over two thousand dollars that's crazy. In a minute. I'm like, what? <laughs> Did you have a big, like, audience at that part? Like, uh, you know, Twitter, Discord? What did that look like? And has it expanded now that you've gotten this momentum going? So when we hit, when we hit go on the Kickstarter, we were sitting at about 2,000 Twitter followers. So, in fact, I think we had we had just hit 2,000 because that was when we announced the uh, the Capybara Pillow. Gotcha. Um, so it's not a small audience, but not massive either. Right, right. Um, you know, you compare it to something like uh, like Hazelnut Bastille. I think they had twice that when they launched mm-hmm. theirs. Um, but then. We have, of course, our publisher, Top Hat. Um, they have a a pretty big following, especially with um, another game that they recently published that went through uh, Kickstarter, uh, Steam Dolls. I don't know if you've heard of them. They had a massive 
following by the end of theirs because they got they got David Hayter to voice their main character. <laughs> Something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, so, and they ended up raising like $100,000 or something like that. But anyway, the the day we launched, um, in, in fact, I think it was like an hour before we launched, Steam Dolls just put out an update on their Kickstarter that was like, hey, everybody go back this project. And oh, very suddenly, cool. Suddenly the floodgates were just open. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the, that's one of the nicest things that, oh, excuse me, that's one of the nicest things I've seen about the Kickstarter community and the indie games community in general is a lot of the people when they're going through this, this process, and it is a very stressful process because many don't have the same success that you have all the you know from the start is for some it might be something where it's it's a long journey and each day they they get that fear of am i going to make it am i going to hit that goal am i going to get enough money and it's it's i can only imagine it's daunting but the community of all of these different people seem to be very supportive in pushing that like hey anyone who's getting our game or anyone who's a fan of our game go check out these people they're awesome they've got a cool game and it's really it's really heartwarming to see all of the the shared success that comes with the different kickstarter games that i've seen and i've been you know interviewing people from for quite some time now yeah absolutely you know when we were first getting started uh was when the whole uh indie dev world order started coming together that that whole uh group in fact i remember i think we were sitting around like 200 followers or something and you know we knew a couple other indie devs just through twitter but um so i just remember waking up one day and having uh just a couple hundred twitter notifications i'm like what the heck is going on and somebody had (laughs) somebody had tagged me in the thread where they were like coming up with this idea for the uh for, for the uh indie world order mm-hmm. and I'm like, i don't know what the heck this is but we've gained like 200 followers this morning nice. so <laughs> uh, all right let's see where this goes and they were a massive help um you know we we just started using that that indie world order hashtag and people started retweeting all our stuff like crazy and it was like we were now reaching a much bigger audience than uh, than we ever were before. And, you know, I didn't know what to make of it at first because when I was doing all this research on, you know, how do you be successful in indie dev, right. one of the things they always warn you is your audience is not other developers, it's players, right? Yep. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so I need to avoid marketing to other developers, which is by far easier than marketing to players. Right. But it, it, the idea is that other developers, you know, while they might buy your game, they're not going to be your main source of income. Mm-hmm. Um, what those people didn't really tell us is that, you know, when you when you do uh, market to other developers, you know, they start asking you questions about your game or, you know, how you made certain things. You kind of get a conversation going, you know, you, you end up becoming friends with them. And Mm -hmm. then when it comes time to actually make sales, they're out there being your biggest evangelists, right? And that's, you know, so it is so much more valuable, I think, than people realize 
to yeah. make friendships in in the indie industry, probably even more so than it is in the AAA industry, because you don't have that big that that massive marketing budget that right. a company will have. But what you do have that they're not necessarily going to have is you have personal relationships with people, and a lot of people will be your you know your biggest advocate for free just because they like you. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, connections are important, no matter if you're in the indie game space or not. It's a big, a big thing that people need to learn. But it's great that, for one, you're doing great uh, at, at this time. You're still steadily climbing up. You're getting, hopefully, closer and closer to those other tiers. Uh, one of the questions that I have, though, is because a lot of the times when you have these different stretch goals and one of the things with Kickstarter that is almost to a fault, uh, a little bit negative, depending on how people plan their stretch goals is it could sometimes change the roadmap for this game. Uh, based on funding, when do you feel that the team will be able to actually release this game? And do you think that there will be any impacts from that release date, depending on this becoming maybe even a, a bigger success and you get much, much more money? It might. And that's why we're now trying to do stretch goals that come after release, like the mm -hmm. like the one that was the, the free expansion for all backers. Um, that right. is something that we hope that people realize it's not going to be a day one thing. It's going to be right. the game releases. We start working on the expansion and you get it when it's done. Um, so we're trying to focus on things that are not going to increase the scope, at least the pre-launch scope. Um, you know, this is not going to be a one and done type thing where we're like, you know, here it is. It's released. We're not touching it anymore. Um, you know, we want to... By the time we're we're truly done with it, we want it to be the best version of itself that it can be. So we're right. going to, our plan is to continue updates on it um, as long as feasibly possible until, you know, it is how, how we originally imagined it would be. Um, and that's going to include, um, you know, releasing more dungeons, more storylines, um, plus that's that's a really good return on investment for us because it's like we've already developed all of these tools for making this game you know and we if we can squeeze a bit more income out of them right um, exactly and it also it keeps that conversation going one of the biggest problems with games especially if they're not something that is one of those those battle royales or a moba or something that's constantly a you're always going to be playing these games, it, it can be hard because there is a drop-off of people playing the game and then feeling like, okay, well, I got what the game can offer me. But having those extra expansions or that that continued content brings them back in, one, to, to continue that conversation and have them talk about it, but also gives that audience who missed it and didn't have that opportunity to pick the game up will see that once again, this game is in conversation, and even if they hadn't played the game, knowing that now there's this DLC and there's more content for it might in, encourage others to actually pick it up for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know that's one of the things that we've seen a lot from other people who have gone down this path is if you have a big update that's exciting enough, it can be almost like having a second launch. Exactly. So that's, that's what we're going for. But as far as you know, will, will we still get out the game on our original timetable? The, the next couple months are going to be hugely influential on that. Mm -hmm. I think, 
Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I will say I've already had less time to work on dev stuff than I, I planned on having this month because of the, the Kickstarter. You know, I thought it was right. going to be like you described where we were going to be just getting a little closer to the goal every day. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a slow burn type thing. But mm -hmm. with all that success came, you know, now uh, everybody wants to talk to us about it. Um, you know, we've, we've had uh, a couple different, um, you know, podcasters and journalists and whatnot reach out to us, have questions. Um, so I'm always kind of playing whack-a-mole with that. We have <laughs> the, the comment section on the Kickstarter was just going nuts for a while. Uh, and we have just tons of private messages, people with all kinds of questions. And so... Uh, yeah, it was, it was taking up a lot more of my time than I expected, which right. so, that's advice I would give to, to somebody who's planning on doing this in the future is prepare for it to be, to eat up more of your life than you think it's gonna, because I even went in knowing, cause everybody said like, get ready to dedicate all of your time to this. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for that. I don't know what it is I'm going to be doing though. I mean, you know, we had it because because I've been doing all the marketing for this game so far anyway. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I probably spend an hour a day on it, but it's not a huge thing. No, I was not ready for uh, the, those first two days of the Kickstarter. I <laughs> woke up, started doing marketing stuff. And then by the time I was done, went back to bed. I mean, it was just yeah. the entire sunrise to sunset. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, they're they're good problems to have, right? It's yeah. it's better this way because you're obviously getting that recognition. But I, I'm right. sure that the more you spend on a Kickstarter, the less you're actually working on the game. Right. So we will have to see how it progresses through the next few months. We really want to get it in people's hands as soon as possible, and we're kind of exploring different ways, kind of different contingency plans for. Let's say we get to May. That's that's kind of our our goal right now is to launch by May. And let's say we get to May and it's done-ish, but it's just not there yet. We really want to figure out a way to get people playing it as soon as possible. You know, we know not everybody wants to uh, buy the, the $30 buy-in for the beta testing, um, right. but we still want people to be able to, you know, sit down with their friends and, and play this. Um, and we, we don't really want to do early access because we've mm -hmm. seen a lot of instances where that goes wrong. And especially because of the way steam handles early access where yeah. it, it almost kind of like kills your reach on steam. If you do early <laughs> access, I don't know exactly how the algorithm works, but it's like, um, when, when people, uh, buy the early access, that doesn't count towards your that doesn't count toward the algorithm that moves you toward like the front page of steam that sort of thing interesting so, i've never heard that huh. um, that's that's what we've been told by a couple developers like i said i i know very little about it um but we're looking at maybe having an earlier itch release gotcha where you know people can buy it on there and play it but at the same time that's a little scary because it's then like what if we get a bunch of bad reviews? Like, you know, this game isn't done. They've released an unfinished game. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like, do we 
do we try to make it perfect on launch and make people wait longer for it? Or do we put it out earlier and say, you know, we want it to, we want to get it into your hands now. Uh, but you have to understand that some of the content is still coming. Yeah. I think that is a, a very, it's a very good point because even to my regards, not as like a player that is reviewing things, but just a player in general, there's a lot of games that I've played where I'm in early access mode. And as I'm playing, I like the game and I enjoy the game. But once I'm done playing it from early access mode, whatever that is, it's not always 100% that I'm going to go back. It usually has to be something that really captured me and I just have to know what happens or what's changed. But a lot of the times that's like my one shot into it. And it's why if I'm not doing these smaller reviews to to give you know more insight into these early access games, if it's for me personally, like a game that I just want to play, I'll sometimes steer away from early access because I just I don't want to do that knowing the person that I am and how I play games. Right, exactly. So I, I got to say, we currently don't have an answer for that. It's it's something we think about a lot, and hopefully we will come up with a plan for that as we get a better idea of when the game will be done. Right. Um, but at the current pace that we're moving, I, I'm confident about May. I can't promise it, but I'm confident about it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're hoping for it. I don't want to take up any more of your time because you're a busy guy. You've got a lot on your plate right now. Kickstarter, the actual game itself. For those listening, the girl from Arcania currently has a live Kickstarter page. Please go and check them out. It looks really fun if you are a fan of uh, these 2D Zelda games, if you're a fan of capybaras, if you're a fan of puzzles and unique items this is going to be the game for you uh you can also check out there's a chapter one prototype on itch.io which is linked in the kickstarter page so you can check it out yourself if you want to just try out the game see if this is the one for you um but harrison thanks again for joining me this was a a great talk well thanks for having me here i really appreciate it (laughs) no problem take care and best of luck